Welcome again to another COVID Conversations uh, with the UAMS team. Uh, my name is John Gray. I'm part of the COVID UAMS response team. Uh, today we are joined by one of our nurses who has a unique story uh, that she's going to be sharing with us today. Uh, Rachel, introduce yourself. Good morning, Dr. Gray. My name is Rachel McDowell and I'm a registered nurse at UAMS. And how long have you been here at UAMS now? Going on two years. All right. And tell us uh, what made you decide to become a nurse back when you first said, you know what, I'm going to get into healthcare. So actually, I've been in healthcare for a long time. I was a certified nursing assistant for 18 years before I decided to go back to school. Um, I raised my kids, making like 20000 a year. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was like, if I want to have anything better in my life and give my kids a better chance. I needed to go back to school. So I went back to school to be a, I originally was going to go get my LPN and then I ended up getting accepted into Arkansas state associates of nursing uh, degree program. So instead of, I just completely bypassed LPN and went to RN. So there I am. Well, cool. So, uh, you know, I know when the pandemic first started, there was a lot of anxiety from nurses and doctors and other healthcare workers. What made you want to volunteer for the UMS COVID Nursing Corps? So I was actually a new grad when I started here at UMS. So I started on A4. A4 has been my home unit. <clears throat> um, and then, of course, March 13th, when COVID officially hit UMS, we converged both of those units to the COVID units, and it was a just a big madhouse. Um so I was already there. I was just thrown into it. And so you were, you said, you know what, let's just do this, huh? Pretty much. I had no choice. <laughs> <laughs> and so you, you participated with the UMS COVID response uh, in the early days and, you know, have now parlayed that into the kind of the main COVID floor at UMS, but you right. had a kind of unique experience that you you volunteered to, do some relief work up in New York during the main part of their first initial surge and bulk of their pandemic response. Tell us about that. So I'd been hearing about New York City having all these, you know, the surge in patients and stuff, of course, by, by the news and social media and everything. And so before UAMS actually decided to send a team I was actually contemplating doing a travel assignment there um, and going and doing it because, you know, let's see, the last pandemic was in 1912 for the Spanish flu, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's way over my lifetime. So it for me and my thought process, it was going to be a once in a lifetime experience. And what did your family and friends think about your initial decision to go up to New York in the meat of the pandemic? Well, my husband was actually very supportive. Um, of course, the schools had already shut down uh, by the time we were going to go. So my kids were all at home doing the, you know, they weren't virtual yet because we, we hadn't got that far. They were just doing their AMI packets um, for the school. So they were home. I didn't have to worry about them too much. And my husband had that. But they were all very supportive. My mom was concerned more than anything, but she was also very supportive. 
And it actually turned out, I found out about a week into my decision that my other sister, um, she is a respiratory therapist at Children's and she was actually going. So we went at the same time. Oh, cool. She was in, she was in Queens and I was in Brooklyn. And what was your thoughts when you first hit the ground and showed up that first day at the hospital? I was nervous. I uh, wasn't sure what I was going to see. And prior to going, I had I had prepared myself for the worst. I had prepared myself to wear trash bags for PPE and, you know, one in 95 for the whole entire duration that I was there because I wasn't sure uh, how the PPE situation was going to be there. Um, so I prepared myself for the worst going into it. And then when I got there and they took us on a tour and we saw, um, see, they had already transformed their PACU and their ORs and created all of these new areas that they had to shut down because of the pandemic and they created them into ICUs. So they took us through all these mazes of new construction that they were working on and um, so it was really, it was really cool to see that they had already done that. And it turned out that their PPE was actually better than what I anticipated. Um, we were told that we could only have one N95 for the whole week. Um, we actually had the film gowns and we also had those yellow fabric gowns um, that they had there. And we didn't, it was a whole different world. We didn't change out our, our PPE every room. We had to keep our gowns on. We had to keep our one N95 on. We had to keep our face shield on. We had to put on our the surgical mask over the face shield. And you didn't really change everything out every time like we did at UAMS. Um, they, because uh, they didn't have the supplies. So the only thing we changed from room to room was our gloves um, when we were doing patient care. So that was, that was an experience in itself. <laughs> yeah. And was, was this set up more in like individual rooms or were these more in like just big open wards that like, I think we've seen some on TV like that. So they were actually set up. They were two patients to a room. There was only a few rooms that only had one patient in them. And of course everybody was COVID positive. This hospital was a 500 plus bed facility. And when they were, they were at their max at 500 plus patients in there that were COVID positive. Wow. So 100% COVID positive or COVID rollouts. Correct. Man, that's that's yeah, mind-blowing just thinking about that. <laughs> it is. There's no way I could imagine that at UAMS. How has New York and your experience in New York shaped your opinion of the pandemic after being there and seeing how severe it got, how quick? So being there and seeing everything that had transpired there already and knowing what we had here at home, I was, my thoughts were, wow, how spoiled are we at UAMS? I mean, we have everything that we need, you know, our patient load doubled overnight when we got there. So we went from one to three on a patient ratio to one to six overnight. And they had already done the um, chart where you, you only charted once a shift other than, you know, changes. So whereas here at UAMS, we were still doing our Q4 charting and all that stuff. We hadn't went that far yet. Um, so being that it was already like that, I got to experience it before we had it hit here at, at UAMS, before we had our surge in patients. 
So when I came back, I was more confident in how I took care of the patients and what, what to expect. Um, you know, their patient decline, how, how fastly it, how fast they trend, they go from, you know, being okay, requiring maybe one to two liters of oxygen. And then overnight they're requiring comfort flow at 40 per 40, 50% on 25 liters, you know? So, and I had already seen that in New York. So once it started happening here in Arkansas, when we came back, I was more prepared for it. Did you see a lot of burnout in physicians or nurses while you were in New York City? I did. I did. Uh, everybody was tired. Um, and that's another reason why I went to New York was because they needed some relief. They needed some support. Uh, and I knew that I could I could be that extra support just for that short amount of time. Give them a give them a time off. Give them a break because uh, they weren't getting breaks they were working day in and day out, you know, because they had no other choice. And so going there and 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 helping them was was huge. Um, they were so the week prior to us coming, they told us that their patient ratios before we got there was like one to eight and one to ten. Oh, good Lord. And that's that's beyond in my brain capacity. Could I imagine taking care of that many critically critically ill patients like that. We went, you know, we're general med surge observation floor on A4 before COVID. And then, you know, we went to progressive, it seemed like almost overnight. And so being there, that was a whole different ball game. And so those nurses were really tired. They were very, very tired. And the administration, they were having to uh, work. They were having to be there. Um, the CNO there at Brooklyn, he, they were on the floors helping their nurses. Um, so giving them that break, that, that was, that was a good motivation for going. What did the city look like? You know, I've been to New York before, obviously not during the pandemic, but during normal times and it's a bustling, busy beehive of activity. What was it like during the pandemic? Well, it was shut down. Mm -hmm. um, there was literally nobody in the subways except for, a few homeless people here and there that were kind of scattered. Um, and we were told, you know, we could go and explore the city, but everything was closed. 9-11 was closed. The Empire State Building was closed. Chrysler Building was closed. Uh, all the big landmarks you really want to see was closed. We did get to go on the ferry. Um, and we just kind of went by the Statue of Liberty because it was closed too. So we went on our days off, you know, we would go and explore because you're only – that was my first time ever going to anywhere like that um, from Arkansas. So I wanted to see some things and we had to wear our badges. If we were going to be out, we really needed to, they, they encouraged us to wear our badges. So that way we wouldn't get told, you know, Hey, what are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. We could just say we were going to work. <laughs> so, so that, that's how we kind of got around and was able to, able to go to Times Square and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, there was nobody. Nobody. It's almost like a ghost town. Yeah. Not what you expect New York to be. I bet that was an eerie yeah. sensation walking through such a big city with such, you know, big streets and buildings, but with no population out bustling around. Yeah. Nobody. And the over there by the hospital where we were at, I was at New York Presbyterian in Brooklyn and out in the streets at seven o'clock in at night and at seven o'clock in the evening. So they had these uh, all the windows had 
you know, heart shapes and thank you healthcare heroes and like all this stuff on their, on their windows. And then at night at 7 PM, they would all go out and like cheer out in the streets. Um, and you could hear them from the rooftops. They were just sticking their heads out the windows and, and saying thank you, you know, to the healthcare people as we were going off shift or coming on shift. It was pretty cool. That, but yeah, there was nobody out there. How'd that make you feel hearing that whole city rejoicing for the people, you know, sacrificing their life? It was pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome. Um, made you feel, you know, that you weren't just alone in this pandemic treating treating the patients, that there were people out there that were that were rooting you on and in support, giving you that support that you need. What was the morale like in New York when you first got there? So actually they were much better than what I had anticipated. Um, I've always heard, you know, travelers, when you go to other places, they kind of treat you kind of bad because you're the, you're the traveler. They, they think you're making more money than they are, you know? Um, And that wasn't the case when we got there, they were very welcoming and happy that we were there to help them. They, um, they did this uh, every Friday. They did a feel good Friday and they would about the eight, nine o'clock hour. Of course, we got to work about seven. So our hours were actually like seven to eight or eight to eight. Whereas at UAMS, we're six to seven, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so about the eight o'clock hour on Fridays, they would do this. The manager would come out and they would do a skit. We're actually on YouTube. Um, the floor I was on was called Infill 6, and it was more of an oncology floor prior to COVID. And so it was Infill 6. I don't remember the name of the of the YouTube video, but they videoed us doing this dance. And I honestly don't remember the song that they played, but we all the nurses got in the text and everybody got out in the hallway and just did this dance skit that they went over. Mm-hmm. And so that was to help boost their morale. Um, and it was, it was actually a lot of fun. I, I had a lot of fun with it. So they, they were very, very good compared to what I had thought they were going to be. And what was, I guess, other than seeing patients rapidly decline and having kind of that expertise now under your belt on how to recognize that and how to treat that, what other things did you bring back from New York to help you during the pandemic surge we had at UAMS here in Arkansas? Well, we were, we were already treating patients, you know, with the Plaquenil and the dexamethasone there at New York. And I don't remember if we were treating them at UAMS. I think we had started treating them with the Plaquenil here at UMS too. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a whole lot of change as far as how we took care of patients um, than, than the way we took care of patients at UAMS. Mm-hmm. The main thing was just their oxygen demands and the, the change. Right. That's the confidence is really what I brought back. And that really, it really shows the date in the pandemic for both New York and Arkansas that, that you're discussing Plaquenil, something we don't even use anymore and have now found not to be beneficial. Right. What, what were your thoughts about that? I know for physicians that was really frustrating, uh, trying one thing only to then find out a few weeks later that what you did was useless or maybe even harmful. How was that from a nursing standpoint? Well, it was, um, of course, I kind of just do what I'm told when it comes to doctors telling me what to give and what not to give. Oh, that's not true. I've worked with you. You tell me what to do. Come on now. (laughs) Um, 
Oh, it was, it was definitely a change. Um, cause we were treating them with Plaquenil and I, I don't remember seeing, you know, a big turnaround with treating them with Plaquenil like we did with treating them with the remdesivir and the, um, of course the dexamethasone with the remdesivir. It seems like they had, you could see the turnaround in them compared to what they were with the Plaquenil. Mm-hmm. You know, I know probably going to New York was extremely scary, probably both for yourself and your family, especially with as little as we understood about the pandemic at that point. If you had it over yeah. again, would you, would you do it again? I would do it in a second. I would do it in a second. Would your family think the same thing or were they, were they happy to see you back and don't ever leave us again? <laughs> they were very happy to see me back. Now uh, I travel to UAMS to work, so I'm gone three to four days a week from home and they're used to that. Um, so I'll be, I'm home, you know, two or three days a week. Um, so I think they would be open to it. I think they would be okay with it as long as it's not a really long duration, but yeah, I would do it again. Well, some questions we've asked all of our participants uh, on the podcast is these last two questions and feel free just to give us an honest opinion. You know, during the pandemic, there's been a lot of stress and anxiety. What are the things that keep you up at night when you think back on the pandemic and think about what we're doing going forward? Uh, the main thing that I worry about at night is my patients. Um, you spend 12 hours shift with them and you work with them all day and, you know, we monitor them and, and we don't know if they're going to change overnight. Recently, I had a patient who was an elderly gentleman and he um, he was doing okay for me one day. And then the next morning when I come back in, his oxygen needs had to be increased and he was desatin so fast, you know, into the 70s, just overnight. And then the next day comes comes by and we're sending him to the ICU because he has changed so much in just that very short amount of time. So I, I really do worry about my patients more than anything, whether they're going to be there or not when I get back. Yeah, I think that's always a sign of a good nurse and a good doctor is uh, going home and, you know, obviously disconnecting and being with your family and friends, but also still being mindful and present that, you know, those patients are sick and in the hospital. And um, I think it just shows caring. Yeah. And I also worry about, I mean, they, they're there on their own, you know, at the hospital, these patients, they don't have their families with them, which is a, which was a big change whenever COVID hit, all of a sudden our families couldn't come in and be with their loved ones. And so our patients lost that extra support. Um, They're FaceTiming and talking on the phone instead of actually having that connection. So that's, you know, that's another thing that I worry about our patients because depression and, you know, anxiety of being in the hospital and, you know, they're, they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know. And we don't know if they're going to get worse. So trying to be that support system for them is huge. Rachel, any, any just totally bonkers, crazy story that you have from New York that you're willing to share? Uh, well, I don't really have a crazy story. I have a fun story. I have a, I, so when I got to New York, I had this one patient. He was an elderly gentleman. He was in his 80s, roughly. And I had him the entire time that I was uh, in New York, the whole three weeks. Um, he was on a comfort flow. And he, and that's another thing, our parameters on that floor were much higher. So at UAMS, our parameters are 
50% FiO2 and I think like 35 liters. He was at max 100% FiO2 and like 40 liters. And he was, uh, anytime he wiggled his finger, he would desat to like 60s. He was real close to going on the vent. And the doctors just, we just kind of monitored him. Every time he would sit up on the side of the bed, he would desat. And then he would come back up. So we would just kind of watch him do this yo-yo thing as, uh, as, as we were there caring for him. But every time I went in there, so he was, uh, I want to say he was a Spanish speaking, but he could speak some English. And of course we have this Southern accent being, being there in, in New York compared to theirs. And, uh, he would, every time I would come in, he'd go, Oi, mommy, you're here. And I'd go, yeah, good morning. And he's, um, he would always have this real chipper attitude, even though he was in this position. And, uh, Every time I went in there, he was real excited to see me and he would ask me, are you coming back the next day? Um, and I'd say yes. And then on my last day there, I was with him. And when I told him I wasn't going to be there, he was kind of saddened a little bit that, that I was going home, but he was happy for me to go home. So um, that's one thing that I brought back. I'll never forget him. Um, he was a great, great patient and he always danced. He would, he would do this little jig. Um every time we'd go in there and I'd kind of try to dance with him a little bit to, to keep his spirits up. And he, he was just great. That's my one good story that I have for, for New York. And I think he made it out of there. I don't know for sure, but. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. Another question we always ask everybody during the pandemic um, is what keeps you going? What makes you wake up every morning and be excited about coming back to work? My coworkers, uh, we have awesome coworkers at, at UAMS or I do. Um, Dr. Gray, we miss you when you're not there. It's, it's a whole nother world when you're not there. It's no good. Oh, you say that to all so, the doctors. You got to have now. time off too. <laughs> no, only two. Only two of them. I'll be honest. Yeah. It's just two of you that I really, really am like, where are these doctors at? They are not here. They need to come back to work. Um, but yeah, coming back to work and at UAMS, it's a real good environment. Everybody helps each other out. They're, um, they're really good at what they do. Uh, I, I chose a good place to work. So, well, to be honest with you, we couldn't do the the job that we do without the amazing staff we have at the hospital, and that you know really starts with the nursing staff. You guys are the core uh, team members of the COVID response division, and without your guys' undying support of the patients and uh, of us as physicians, we wouldn't be where we're at today. So, I want to thank you so much for everything you do. At, at the hospital and for the patients and for us. And thank you again for coming on COVID Conversations today. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. The content of this production has been developed based on UAMS's current needs and experiences. UAMS is an entity of the state which may have different requirements under federal and state law than your hospital, doctors, or other practitioners. This information is not intended to replace speaking with your healthcare provider or a substitute for their clinical judgment. The relevance or applicability of this information can and will change as the pandemic continues, and please reach out to our teams with any questions or clarifications that are needed.